Good morning. Do grab your seats if you haven't done so already. Miracles. Miracles. Did they happen in Bible times? Do they happen today? Did God really part the Red Sea so that the Israelites could pass through on dry land? Did the armies of Jericho or Joshua march round Jericho and the walls fall down? Did Jonah really spend three days in a whale? Did Jesus heal people of their diseases? Did Jesus cause three people to rise from the dead? Did Jesus himself rise from the dead? Did he really walk on water? Did all of these miracles in Bible times happen? And do they happen today? Did my friend really have his knee injury instantaneously healed? Did God really heal a student's migraine and rib pain at our Alpha group a few weeks ago? Did God really take a girl with a reading age of five at a conference called New Day, which our young people are going to be going to uh, this year, and receive such incredible healing to her brain injuries and her sight that two years, two years later... She was accepted to Nottingham University. Was it God who grew the leg of someone in this room not that long ago? Did God give someone a a word of knowledge for me when I needed to make a big decision? He would have had absolutely no idea what I was going through at the time. We're going to begin our, our series on miracles today by looking at the miracle of life. Is life itself a miracle? Next week we'll look at uh, the miracle of Jesus' resurrection, with it being Easter Sunday after all. And then we'll look at the miracle uh, of new birth, becoming a Christian. (coughs) Then we'll look at the miracles of Jesus. And then eventually what we're going to get to, which maybe some of you want us to get to right now, is miracles today. What do they look like? How do they happen? How do we pray for them? So today, to kind of uh, give us a little bit of structure, we're going to split our time into three different sections. And we're going to go all the way back to Genesis 1, the very first words of the Bible. And our structure is going to look like this. Number one, in the beginning, God. Then number two, created out of darkness. And number three, created into light. So you've got a Bible with you. Do turn to Genesis chapter 1. should be very easy to find today. Verses 1 through 3. Although you do have to skip past all the introductions and everything that the Bible will have. And it says this. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said... Let there be light, and there was light. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you that today on Palm Sunday we can once again be reminded that you are the majestic King over all things. Thank you God that you truly are the, the God who has made everything. Lord, would you re- reveal yourself this morning as our maker? <coughs> You spoke and there was light and life. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that 
um, through your word, we would receive the light and life of God. Come now, we pray, by the power of your spirit, and do what only you can do, which is to change hearts, change minds, and turn us to you, our great King. Amen. In the beginning, God. Now there's a a propensity, isn't there, for all of us to long for something beyond our existence. We long for more from just this daily humdrum of mundane life. That's why we love the moments where we find ourselves away from it all and connecting with something beyond ourselves. We stargaze. We climb mountains. We cheer with thousands of other fans at the big game. We share in the fake lives of soap stars. Uh, We get engrossed in the creativity of films and of art and books. We watch uh, David Attenborough documentaries. And we all love to travel, don't we? Or at least dream of travelling. Talk about it a lot. I remember really clearly as a a 10 or 11 year old, I'm in the back of my dad's car, we're coming back from a family meal. And um, it's one of those really beautiful, crisp, cold January nights. And there's just hardly a cloud in the sky. And so I'm staring out the window, my head pressed up against it. And I'm looking up and I remember just wondering, wondering at this incredible expanse above all these stars. And I remember thinking at the time, as a 10 or 11 year old boy, now, I wasn't a particularly philosophical little boy. Usually I was just running around playing football. I remember thinking, do I have a purpose in all of this? Is there a meaning to life? Is there more to this existence than just what I do every day? I'm so small. But is there a God who has given me purpose, who's given me a destiny even. I still love to stargaze. My uh, cousins live out in Arizona and so after I finished school I had the opportunity to go out for the summer. So I jumped at it, went out, stayed with them for the summer and as part of what uh, all the different things that we did, one of the things we, we decided to do was to go up into this canyon where there was very little light pollution, well away from Phoenix where they lived and um, we lay out and almost pitch darkness looking up into the sky. There was very little um, left of the moon that you could see that night and it was incredible. I'd never seen anything like it. I was mesmerised even if I was slightly scared of what might crawl up to me or slither up to me in the desert. I was mesmerised at what I now at this stage believe God had created. So it was different from what I looked at as a 10 or 11 year old because now I thought I'm not only wondering about life now I'm wanting to worship now I'm wanting to look up and say oh thank you God for this incredible creation and by then I also knew that the nearest star to us other than the sun is twinkling from about 25 trillion miles NASA tells us that if we were to send a probe there an average speed of 52,000 miles per hour, that's a little bit faster than my Hyundai i30. It would take about 54,000 years 
And that's just the nearest star. Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. And the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. We are made to wonder. To pursue something bigger than ourselves. There is something more. Inbuilt in our very nature is that there is a supernatural being who made for us, who made us and made us for a purpose. And just to be clear, we're not talking about that kind of Disney purpose and meaning, okay? It's not that we are the star of the show, it's that we get wrapped up in the purposes and mission of God as we stand and wonder at His glory. Today's prominent materialistic view concedes that there was some sort of primordial existence. Something that must have existed for eternity, going back into eternity past. The key question that we need to ask is this. Is the main line materialistic view right when it says the universe has in some ways always existed? And it is because it has in some ways always existed, that we have conceived as human beings that there must be something else. And so actually the the thought of God is just a concept. Or is it that there is an actual God who has always existed outside of the material process of nature? How you answer that question will have enormous consequences on your life. Your value and your fulfillment in life will be determined by it. Either your life will hold value because a loving and immutable God, that means he is not only unchanging, but that his love for you is unchanging. It will never let you down. Or your value is in what you do. What you do in a a world that is constantly changing, where people forget, where people around you change. And eventually we're just decomposed into the earth or get burnt up into the air. Nothing destroys the soul more than a sense of purposelessness or meaninglessness. But nothing lifts the soul like the moment we discover that we were made for a reason. It's because God is behind all of this that we can have purpose and meaning in life. We're not just randomly mutated beings with only self-made meanings. Genesis is called Genesis because it literally means beginning. In the beginning, God. That tells us that there was a beginning, a, a before the time that God spoke life as we know it into creation. They set the scene of this glorious creative process where the greatest engineer, designer, architect, potter, painter that there has ever been breathed life into existence. That's why Moses uses the word God 35 times in the first 35 words, uh, first 35 verses of the Bible. We have a deep 
an innate longing for more because we're made by God for God. That's why we gaze at the stars like we're exiles from some glorious place. And although we may not have realised it before now, the reason we gaze beyond ourselves is not because we don't belong here. It's not because we don't belong to Glasgow. I'm not going to sing. But because we belong to God and somewhere deep within us, we, we long to be reconciled to him. We long to be with our maker. We long to live for his glory. We long somewhere inside of us to give our all for the one who made us. The Greek word for miracle is semeos. And semeos doesn't just mean miracle. It actually means sign. It isn't that miracles are the goal in themselves. It's that God is. Miracles are a sign to God. They are about the supernatural, reminding the natural that it has been made. That God himself has made us. That he is our preeminent king. And that he is the brilliant source of our fulfillment. He existed before any of this did as a creator who has and who is and who will always be the king on the throne of the universe. So when we talk about miracles through the series, let's just be really clear. We're not talking about miracles because miracles are a goal in themselves. We're talking about miracles because they point us to God. Because we are made for his glory. Because there we find purpose and meaning. Paul says this in his letter to the Romans. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Creation itself is a miracle. And it's a glimpse of God's limitless power. Look up and look around for the evidences of, in the beginning, God. Now, miracles could be defined as God's supernatural breaking into the natural. Or God's supernatural power breaking into our fragility. And so it doesn't pass me by that it's kind of ironic that our first miracle in this series on miracles is actually about how supernatural power is and it is evidenced in nature itself. So that takes us to the Bible's fifth word, created. Created out of darkness, section two. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. How did we go from nothing to something? From the primordial to this. How did we go from darkness and lifelessness to light and life? And this is where we need to get real about quite a foolish view that religion and science don't mix. Nonsense. The rational approach to science was first developed under theists. 
people who believe in God. These people saw that there must be a lawgiver because of the laws of nature in the universe. These people saw that there was such intricate design in creation that there must be a designer for all of this. They saw the intelligibility of his creation and they were amazed. And it made them want to research. It made them passionate about researching nature because they saw that there must be something more than nature itself. They saw that there must be an agent outside of nature who's made all of this. Sir Isaac Newton, in the introduction to his view on gravitational force, said this. The most beautiful system of the sun, planets and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. In the 1960s, it was genuinely thought possible that there could be extraterrestrial life. And so lots of governments were uh, spending loads of money trying to work this out. Now, at the time, there were only two fine-tuned characteristics that they had identified. So they thought, if we can just identify places in the universe that meet these two characteristics, then perhaps we can find intelligent life somewhere else. But since then, they've actually discovered that there are more than 150, and that's quite a conservative number, of fine-tuned characteristics required for life to exist here on the earth or to exist anywhere else. So the odds for supporting life on any planet can be mathematically tested according to what we know so far. There may be much more, I suspect there probably is. And so currently the chance is 1 in 10 to the power of 73 that within the universe a planet can support life. Here's where that number looks like written down. Now, I've never been betting on the right, good at betting on the right horse. We used to play the Grand National every year when I was growing up, and I was terrible. My horse would usually be the one that needed to get shot or you know, ran off somewhere else. But I don't think I'd even take these odds. I mean, it's remarkable. Logic, logically and statistically speaking, we should not exist. Simple as that. I'm no scientist. And I'm not pretending I am. I'm borrowing all of this from people I can trust as scientists. But I'm told that there are many mathematical reasons why life should be a virtual impossibility. But here are a few I can actually understand, and perhaps you, um, if you're not a scientist as well, will be able to understand with me. So if our planet was slightly bigger than it is now, it would have such an effect on our gravitational pull, which is, would in turn... Um, increase the amount of ammonia in our atmosphere and methane that we would all die. If the Earth was just a tiny bit smaller, then the gravity would be so weak upon the Earth that water wouldn't be able to stick. It wouldn't stay upon the surface of the Earth. And, you guessed it, we would all die. Then there never seems to be enough time in any given day. Right? That's how I feel. I feel like we could do with a few more hours a day. But apparently, if there were a few more hours a day, then the Earth would rotate, obviously, a little bit slower. And if that happened, just by a few hours a day, the heat of the day or the cold of the night would kill us all almost within a couple of days. 
Now, you might also think that the days go too slowly. Maybe you're one of those people that thinks, actually, the days are going too slowly right now. I remember that when I was in primary school. The days went very slowly. I must have stared at that clock so, so hard. But if that's you, maybe think again, because if the planet rotated just a little bit quicker, then the winds would get so high on the Earth that we couldn't exist. So you don't want winds like Jupiter. Jupiter has winds of 1,000 miles per hour. You think it's bad when we get a strong gale of 80 miles per hour. 1,000 miles per hour. Man, no thanks. And that's just a few examples. There are loads more examples. I've actually been chatting to Stu a bit about this. He's very passionate about it. Go and grab Stu. He'll give you loads more. There's so many reasons that we shouldn't really exist uh, upon this earth. But we do. Now that all assumes that there is a pre-existing universe. So you think that sounds implausible enough? Well, actually, for the universe to exist at all... It needed, among other things, four essential forces to be in perfect harmony. One, gravitational force. Two, electromagnetic force. Three, weak nuclear force. And four, strong nuclear force. And in its simplest terms, stuff, material, could not exist without these balancing forces. There's a Christian astrophysicist from Canada... Hugh Ross, who decided to do the maths for us on these four different forces existing. And he gives us this brilliant illustration. He says that you should uh, take dimes. This is to work out how probable it is for these four to exist together. Okay? He says, take some dimes and lay them out across the whole surface of North America. Now, a dime is 10 cents, I believe. And this here is a five pence piece. And a five pence piece is marginally smaller than a dime. Okay, so imagine you've got all of these five pound species and they are laid out across North America and you cannot see the surface of North America at all for these five pences. Then he says, layer them up and keep layering them up and keep layering them up and keep layering them up until you get to the height of the moon, which is about 238,000 miles up. And when you get there, multiply the number of North Americas that you have, that you've piled up to 238,000 miles high with five pence coins, and then multiply it by a billion. Then, get a pal, come on pal, blindfold them, and once you've blindfolded them, paint one of the five pences red, and then randomly place it. And then get your friend to find the five pence coin. If they pick out the five pence coin, then you get what we have, the universe. If they don't, it doesn't happen. It's extraordinary that we exist. Scientists would sometimes want you to believe that faith is without reason. Nonsense. You need so much faith to believe that there isn't a God. How can we possibly take all of those elements together and the many, many mores, uh, more that there is and then not believe in this statement as a more likely statement? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ludwig Wittgenstein, a great mathematician and philosopher who taught at Cambridge University, said this. The great delusion of modernity is that the laws of science explain the universe for us. 
The laws of nature describe the universe, but they explain nothing. Don't be fooled by the philosophy of materialism that wants to tell you that science explains it all. Science is a beautiful discipline, one that I wish I was more talented in, but also one that from a theological position or philosophical position, I can look at from a distance and admire, but then turn to the pages of the Bible and there find the explanation for life and sing songs of majesty and glory and honour to the God who made all of it. There I can turn and find my meaning. Here is my purpose. Here is my relationship with the God who made it all. Here is the king of the universe revealed in the pages of his revelation in the Bible. The heavens declare the glory of God. In the beginning, God created out of darkness. And he created into light. Here's our third and last section. It is no mistake that when God created the universe, he at first speaks light into creation. He says, verse 3, and God said, it says, verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Light brings life. It burst into the primordial beginning, however short or long you think that might be, a millisecond or billions of years, whatever your view on that is. God then spoke and it appeared and the first day dawned. Light shone into darkness. Darkness discovered it was dark by this gloriously contrasting and undefeatable light. Where light shines, darkness can no longer be found. God was bursting into the beginning with life. It's what God does. He is a bringer of life. He is the light of life. Genesis 1, 1 and 2 is the beginning of the whole Bible. And I used to have uh, this uh, brilliant professor, a theological professor, who used to say this, that the rest of the Bible is a commentary on those two verses. Verse 3 launches into a creation narrative. But then from Genesis 3, from the fall of mankind, it then becomes about the restoration of, of life God's uh, love story for us where he wants to be reconciled to us the gospels appearing 2000 years later and after 400 years of silence darkness Jesus bursts onto the scene in them as a fulfillment of the old covenant that promise to Abraham and his descendants being fulfilled in a new covenant a new promise And that's why John's gospel begins by echoing the words of creation. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the same way that God shone into the darkness, into that primordial existence. He has shone into the darkness of this broken world and into the darkness of our hearts. Through immaculate conception, God himself in the person of Jesus came out of the darkness of the womb to be the light of the world. Darkness came over the land on the first Good Friday 
as Jesus cried out, it is finished. He is buried in the tomb. And that's what we're going to look at on Good Friday, our Good Friday meals. Remembering the significance of that. Jesus dying in our place. But then, three days later, out of the darkness of the tomb, Jesus, the light of the world, shone into this world as a resurrected king. The light shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Only a preeminent creator of the heavens and the earth could say something like, I am the light of the world. The world was created for more than just one show of God's power. Although we are small, limited, vulnerable, we were placed as a pinnacle of God's creation, so much so that God came to rescue us, bursting into our darkness with his glorious light. What happened on the, on the road to Damascus to Paul, in, in many ways, is, is what's happened to us spiritually. Each of us who have put our trust in Jesus. He walks along this road, and then Jesus bursts into his life with light. And spiritually, that's what's happened to us. Those of us who have put our trust in Jesus. We were in darkness. Our hearts were dark. And then Jesus' light has burst into our darkness. We now live as people of the light. It's been revealed to us that Jesus was the all-conquering king, the maker of the heavens and the earth. And he came on a rescue mission for us. And then he rose again from the dead, the light of the world, shining into the darkness of our hearts. And now we as the church, we are this light on a hill, shining out in Glasgow, saying, guys, you don't have to exist in darkness anymore. You don't have to exist in the brokenness of life anymore. Death doesn't have to defeat you. Sin doesn't have to defeat you. Because Jesus has risen again from the dead and the light of life shines in Glasgow. And it shines through his church. And so we should be desperate for our friends. Come, be a part of what we're doing. Encounter the light of God. Because Jesus is alive. Next week's Easter Sunday, invite a friend. Invite them along. We're going to talk about how Jesus is the resurrection of our life. God made mankind in his own image. And his heart's cry is that we as the people he adores would dwell with him in his light forever. So let's wrap up by going back to the beginning. We're going to go back to Titus. Uh, and we're going to read Titus 1, 2. And Paul says this. He's proclaiming the truth. And he says, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie promised before the beginning of time in the beginning God he was and is and is to come and he created all things out of darkness and into light and now because the supernatural entered into the natural the light into the darkness we can sing uh, lyrics of songs like this and I'm sure we'll sing lots of lyrics like this next week there in the ground his body lay 
light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. The miracle of the resurrection is that Jesus has shone into our darkness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Father God, thank you that that's true. Thank you that you created out of nothing. You spoke the world into being. You are the one who made all things. You are the one who we look to and we say, God, we want to give you glory. We want to honour you with our lives. The heavens declare your glory, Lord. The skies proclaim the work of your hands. You are God. Lord, we pray that you'd speak life and light into our hearts now as we continue to worship you, our King.